Welcome back to Bound the Context. I'm your host, Ryan Shriver. Today, I'm happy to welcome Lisa Atkins to the program. Lisa is an Agile and Leadership Coach. Welcome, Lisa. Thanks, Ryan. Good to see you again. Good to see you again. So, so Lisa, tell our audience a bit about yourself and some of the work that you do. So I've been an Agilist for about 15 years now. Prior to that, I was a plan-driven project manager. And I think what people know me most for is my work in helping emerge Agile coaching as a profession. I wrote the Coaching Agile Teams book 10 years ago, and it is still such a solid contribution, I suppose, to the field Mm -hmm. that it's still selling more and more copies. And so this summer during the pandemic, we thought it might be a great idea to record the audiobook. So the oh, audiobook wow. is out now. It just came out about three weeks ago, and it is number one on Amazon for new releases and audiobooks. Cool. Just in That's the awesome. Coaching and agile project management categories, not on the whole Amazon, but still a pretty exciting thing. So I really look at that as the bookend of that about 10-year effort that I had to, um, to really bring new ways of thinking and new skills and to up-level um, what Scrum Masters and Agile Coaches and people doing Agile Coaching were up to in the business world. And where I'm focused now, which is really along the same big mission, which is to uh, create just a much more sustainable and thriving, both sustainable and thriving human presence on the planet. The piece of that I'm up to now is all about decision making. and. I'm out to radically improve the quality of the decisions we're making on the planet right now. <laughs> I like it. So, so when you so when you get engaged by your customers, either leaders in firms or, or the more um, team level, how do you go about approaching sort of problem solving? Like, do you think about it in terms of problems to solve, or do you not think about that at all um, when you are sort of engaged? I think about it a lot, but I think about it in terms of business decisions to make first before we figure out what problems we want to solve. Okay. Um, And then there is of course, tons and tons of problem solving methods, but the there's, there's a whole bunch of art and science around decision-making itself. Yeah. And that's where I'm focused because, you know, if we're going to have decisions that are more holistic, that are more wholesome, that are good for more constituents, including the non-human constituents, like the planet itself, then we're going to have to get a lot better at decision-making. And so then if you come in, what, what is your thinking these days on ways to go about decision-making? Is that something you're in discovery for yourself? I would think you have a bit of a, uh, a thought on that, but it may be your discovery too. Yeah, I am. I'm very much in discovery about, so what is the art and science of decision-making and where have we, where do we have enough knowledge base and where, what's missing in the knowledge base on how we make decisions. But when people engage me, they're not like, Hey, Lisa, come in and radically improve our decision-making. That's not what they're thinking. (laughs) They're thinking, Oh, my leadership team does not function very well. Like it's a, let's say it's a CEO of an organization. And they're like, oh, yeah, you know, it's pretty rough in here right now. And so they'll bring me in to help with that. And, um, of course, what groups like that are up to is making decisions. That's what they do. That's their job. And so eventually it rolls around into um, unknotting all of those human dynamics issues, 
helping teach the helping them by teaching them some new skills, typically relationship skills. And, um, and eventually, eventually, once the functioning of the group is strong enough, just getting really like nerdy and gritty about how they make decisions and helping them decide how they want to make decisions. Interesting. So when you get in there, what are some of the patterns that you've seen that you tend to have to kind of unwind? Are they cultural to specific organizations or you tend to see the same kind of things again and again across your different customers? I would say the culture of organizations exacerbates certain things, Mm -hmm. but overall it's the same sort of patterns. And I think that, um, well, I mean, just, just think about any relationship in your life. Most of us do not have strong relationship skills. Mm-hmm. When you get a bunch of senior leaders in a room or a bunch of delivery team members in a room, it's sort of the same dynamic, except for that what's going on with the senior leaders has much more impact because their decisions have so much more weight. And what's going on is a lack of a radical lack of, of relationship skill. Wow. And so how do you start to address this? I mean, what's your sort of, if you, when you see that, what what's in your bag of sort of tricks that we all kind of carry from, from engagement to engagement that you can sort of pull out and say, okay, client, based on what I'm seeing, this is what I think can help yeah. you with making better decisions. Yeah, I try really hard to do just a first cut assessment with a group like that and mm-hmm. then turn it over to their curiosity and where they want to go. Um, because they have to want it more than I want it for them. Uh, So let's say, so here's a typical thing, board of directors or let's just say board directors. That's one of the ones I have in my mind right now. Well, engage me because they're like, "Eh, you know, we're just like, we don't get enough done. We don't get everything in our agenda done. We carry stuff over from board meeting to board meeting. It's really hard to make decisions. We recycle decisions. We're having the same conversations over and over again. And I'm saying this, I'm sure people out there who are listening to this right now are going, oh my gosh, of course, that's what happens on my team too. Yes, it's what happens almost on every team on the planet. And so um, what I will do in that case, my preferred way of doing this is just to watch them, Hmm. is to just watch them go about their everyday conversations. And if it's the case of a board of directors, they're going to, you know, in the old days, they would get together physically for two or three days at a time. And I would just be there in the back of the room. And I realized as I was watching them that I'm running through about 17 different models in my head simultaneously about human dynamics. And I'm paying attention to where are this human system's strengths, where are its challenges, what are the topics that they're, they're really easy to go into, not necessarily content topics, but like ways of working together that's really easy for them to go into and where is it really hard and what are the things that they are unwilling to touch with a 10-foot pole Mm. so i'm like i'm paying attention to that and after about a day and a half i can usually do just a very quick presentation and i try to make it really low tech so that people don't think this is exactly what's happening but this is just the you know one expert's view i'll look i'll say okay Here's what I see. Here are your system challenges. Here are your system strengths. Here are the three things I would suggest you work on. And I and every single time I'm saying one of those sentences, I'm looking at them like, okay, okay, you know, how's it landing over there? Are they nodding their heads or are they frowning? Like, and I'll ask specifically, like, does this make sense to you? And they'll be like, oh my God, yes. How'd you see that so fast? Oh my God, that's exactly what we do. 
And it's not that they knew that consciously, but we all know these things unconsciously. Interesting. Yeah. It's just, it feels like you've been able to, in, in design thinking, we talk about observation. And there's a great quote, observation is listening with your eyes, right? And it sounds like you've trained your eyes and ears a lot. And my heart. Is, ah, the empathy yeah. piece, right? To, to observe, but it sounds like to really observe and see what's going on, but that you can quickly hone in on, okay, this is, this is yeah. the challenges. And then... I think that's part of probably that immediate within a day telling them back, this is what I heard. That's part of probably building that trust that, that you have to, to, to have in order, well, I would presume, to, to affect change. But you tell me. Yeah, I got to tell you, I, you know, this whole thing of like, you got to build trust before you do anything, I think is, is vastly overrated. Interesting. Um, now, professional coaches know how to design relationships consciously at the very beginning so that they get the permission to do the sorts of things that would take other people years, weeks, months, however long to build the trust, to be able to feel safe enough to say things. So for example, um, as I was observing, before I observed, we had a designed alliance conversation. And we, we designed together how what I was gonna be doing, so they knew what I was gonna be doing in the back of the room. Mm -hmm. We designed together, um, what it was going to be like for them when I delivered my assessment. You know, what are the ways that you like to hear bad news? Mm -hmm. What are the ways that you like to hear good news? Yeah. Um, and really just opening that two way street of like, um, you know, what is your high dream for why I'm here assessing you and observing you and why I might be able to help you? And what's your worst nightmare? And as soon as that information is shared, bang, you've got not necessarily trust, but you've got alignment. Hmm. And you've got permission. You've got permission to say things that you might be kind of afraid to say if you didn't have that specific conscious yeah. relationship. Yeah. And I've noticed that at times being an outsider, sometimes you have license. Uh, mm -hmm. to say those oh, things, yeah. right? You know, you know, and you know this a lot better than I do, but even on my coaching engagements, the person will come to you on the side and say, listen, you know, here's, here's what's happening going on. You hear lots of that. And sometimes they won't speak up mm -hmm. on their own. They have, you know, mortgages to pay, kids in college, those sort of things. But you have a little bit of a license to come in and, and more candidly, um, sometimes bluntly, sort of play it at folks. And you can you can get away with that when you're brought in from the outside sometimes. Yeah, and what I'm trying to do is to make a statement of what I see, mm -hmm. not to get them to say I'm right or wrong, or for them to have any kind of reaction, but for them to ask themselves the question, is that so? So you're looking to kind of validate your observation. I know, I'm no. looking for them. I'm looking for them to take the responsibility for it. So if I say something and they say, oh my God, you're right. I'll be like, okay, great. Do you all want to work on that? And if I get a lot of, yeah, sure, we should. I'm like, no, 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 no. You have to have more skin in the game. Do you really want to work on that? Because we can. You know, we, you, we can set exactly how you want your decisions to be made two months from now. We can set the vision for that and I can help you get there. But you have to decide that you want it. And that is so different from consulting. Interesting. So it's it is it. This is an approach, of course, where I'm bringing lots of expertise, 
but it has a professional coaching foundation up underneath it. Because mm -hmm. what I'm in this for is their individual and collective sustainable change. Interesting. Is, is it really a person or a small group at a time? Like, is, is that how you view this? Is it, or, or can this be something that, that gets beyond? Oh, it will definitely get beyond the small group. So we have a lot of really wonderful things coming out in the world right now. We have um, the use of the, of the integral model and integral theory by Ken Wilber coming into the agile world in a very strong way right now. That will very drastically improve the way people make decisions because it will help them see their situations more completely or more holistically. So Michael Spade and Michelle Medor wrote a book called Agile Transformation, just came out a few weeks ago. Wow. So that book is going to help people make much better decisions about these changes that they want to evoke in their organizations, whether they're inside the organization or they're a consultant to the organization. Michael Hammond wrote a book called Evolve Agility, how to have a leadership culture, and that brings in the integral model as well. So, so those sorts of things can help us at scale become much better at decisions. Also, see, I'm in collection mode right now. Like these things yes. just start coming to me. Once I get in, in, interested in a topic, and this is kind of like, buying a Tesla, which we did in March. You see it everywhere. <laughs> yeah. Right? You all, you all know this. About buying a car or being pregnant or whatever. You see. Don't know about that. But yeah. car or pregnant ladies everywhere. So um, I agreed to narrate another audiobook. This one is called Lead Together. It just came out in November. Mm -hmm. So I'm in the midst of narrating it right now. And the, and the chapter I narrated recently is chapter 12 decision making unleash new paradigms for deciding together Interesting. together so this is another way that things can happen at scale is that people will read the participative decision making methods inside of this chapter and go i can do that with my team yeah how much of the problems when you work at the team level versus the executive level how much of the challenges are similar and how different are they um, cause that's something I'm, I, I started at the team level and then I, I work with executives too, but not, not, I would say a, a lot. And I'm just sort of curious your observations on whether it tends to be the same things or it's very vastly different. What they're thinking about is vastly different. Mm -hmm. What they're having to make decisions about is vastly different. Mm -hmm. When they move into action, or when they contemplate moving into action, that's when it gets to be almost identical. Hmm. Because the things that hold them back from moving into positive action are the, are the limiting beliefs and the stoppers inside of all of us that say, I can't do that. I can't have that conversation. And like you just said a moment ago, I can't tell the boss that. That happens with executives too. You know, there's just all of this water under the bridge that people have, you know, that, that they carry with them into every conversation they come into. And they and they they limit themselves to the point where every every person is like in this teeny tiny box. And they're afraid to say anything outside of this box or they say a bunch of stuff outside the box. They piss a bunch of people off. They have no filters and they cause a bunch of damage. You know. In either case, we don't have moving forward together um, as a really good possibility.
And so that's what I want. I want there to be like a really sweet flow of energy and momentum toward solving hard problems, making decisions, moving into action and learning and adjusting that that's possible. And so if, if, if organizations want to take this step, what is your recommendation on how they get started? How do they start to come together? to sort of um, solve these things. And what's interesting I love about your perspective is, and this goes back to the years I know you, you've always taken a human centric empathetic approach to all of what we uh, mm -hmm. do. And it's, it's such a nice counterbalance to the, you know, methods and methodologies and all those sort of, you know, the scrum and combo, all, all necessary things. But I think your approach has been and has continued to evolve towards empathy having people at the source of this and really things like relationships, which coming from an engineering person is the touchy feely stuff that we don't really like to sort of talk about quite frankly. Right. Yeah. Uh, and so it's tough, but it's necessary. So if you're working with organizations or folks that are listening on, the, on our audience, how could they go about getting started so they can kind of start to come together to make better decisions? Well, I know that even in my own businesses with my own business partners and collaborators, we have coaches. Interesting. Because you can't see yourself. Hmm. And you're certainly not going to call yourself or your peers or your boss on the on the things that cause you to eventually put yourself in a box. But if you have someone else there whose job it is to help tune the human system, help you be much more effective and efficient, make better decisions, eventually have much better business outcomes actually not eventually, immediately have much better business outcomes, then all of a sudden you see things you didn't see before. You say things you didn't say before. Even in the moment, like when we have our coach, our business, you know, this is an organization and relationship systems coach, and we engage this person for the purpose of accelerating our business. And when we have that coach, we find ourselves saying things in those coaching sessions that don't occur to us at any other time, even though we talk all the time. Yeah. So I think that you need a coach. I think you need a coach who is skilled in um, human relationships. And so getting started is getting, finding a coach, finding somebody that fits. It, it, in your experience, is there different types of coaches that fit different types of organizations better or worse or i don't know a whole lot about the coaching space and so i'm a bit naive in terms of yeah. how it work about doing that i wouldn't say necessarily that it's certain kind of coaches fit certain kind of organizations better because professional coaches don't care so much about the organization's content okay professional coaches care a lot about how the organization the how of how the organization does its work and have the how of how human groups do their work not necessarily the what of what they're working on. So we're working at the pattern level, in other, in other words. Yeah. This is a very beautiful parallel to software, actually. Yeah, no, you just- and It really it is, right? yeah. it really is. Because that's what I'm doing when I'm sitting in the back of the room, watching a board of directors interact, is I'm working at the pattern level. I'm not getting sucked into their conversation and their argument. That's just interesting, you know, but I'm yeah. not, I don't have a dog in that fight. I'm really interested in the pattern. And so that's the sort of coach that you want to look for if you are um, a team leader or anyone who feels like they have the wherewithal who can bring that sort of assistance into an organization. And I know of two types of schools or philosophies that I would recommend to people. 
one one are coaches that are um, skilled and I would I would say certified. Look for a certified coach in organization and relationship systems coaching. O R S C. People say ORSC. Okay. That's the kind of coach I'm, I am, and I'm certified in ORSC coaching, because that kind of coaching does not look at a group of people as the sum of the parts. That kind of coaching is not coaching the individuals. It's coaching the human system itself. And there is wild, amazing leverage when you coach the human system itself. So that's that's ORSC. And the other thing that I've been learning about lately is called clean language systemic modeling. Hmm. And that is used in lots of different contexts. So is ORSC, by the way. Um, and, um, and it's really cool because what it does is it helps people reveal their mental models to each other about how they think about something. A simple thing. Like um, when you think about getting a gift for your mother, what's the metaphor that comes to your mind? You just ask people a simple question like that, and five people will have five vastly different metaphors. Yeah. Right. And so when you bring that into the work context, so we're thinking about making this decision about having this merger. What's the metaphor that comes to your mind? When people reveal that to each other and then they start to see what's alike and what's different, it gives them new information they never had if they just stayed on the nits and nats and bolts, nuts and bolts of how to make this decision. So that kind of the person skilled in that clean language systemic modeling, I think would also be quite useful to teams. It is interesting, the parallels to architecture, because to your point in thinking in patterns, when I might listen to client, they're like, so-and-so system has this data feed and here's the attributes and they're going on and on and on and on and on. I'm looking at like, okay, this is like this. And so I'm hearing them, but there's mm -hmm. sort of background because I'm the same thing, looking for patterns to orient yeah. myself. And it's funny, the last part you mentioned, there's some new work um, in sort of the, um, called the chaos space, but about mental models and talk about, you know, within software, that's one of the limitations of all systems is we can't think beyond our mental models. And if you think about 10 different engineers looking at the same system, there's 10 different mental models for how that works, mm -hmm. right? And then whenever there's an incident or something doesn't work right, when we, when we figure out what happened, that's where we reinform our mental model. Because, you know, a lot of times, you know, errors happen in the system because we didn't anticipate it or we didn't think mm -hmm. a change in this one part of the system would break that. But when it does, it forces us to recalibrate a mental model because obviously they're connected. And so one of the challenges of designing large complex systems is everybody is approaching it with a different mental model because it's more about our experiences, our backgrounds, what we've learned along the way. And that's one of the hardest things to really convey across a team is having a common mental model. Um, about any sort of situation. Yeah, and if we stay at the level of of things we can articulate to one another, mm -hmm. we're missing a whole lot of information. Hmm. So say that again. I mean, let me see if I can absorb so, that. Yeah, if we stay at the level of only things that we can articulate to one another, we're missing a lot of information. Okay. Because if if I have to, quote unquote, dumb down all the stuff in my brain in order to figure out how to say something you're going to understand, and then by the time you understand it, it's at like 50% strength from what I had in my mind to begin with, 
-hmm. And by the time we all understand it, it's like at 10% strength. Uh. Right. And so how can we increase the, the meaning making bandwidth when we're together? And some of the ways to do that are in this ORSC skill set. And also in the clean language systemic modeling skill set, actually both of them do this. Because what they do is they have us start talking to each other in different ways, using metaphor, using body movements, hmm. using um, silence together and generative conversation rather than everyone just talk whatever the hell you want. Right. So these ways of interacting create more overall human systems intelligence that can inform the computer systems intelligence you're trying to interrogate and figure out. Yeah. Well, tell me, so with a lot of what you mentioned, how has COVID and our virtual remoteness changed um, maybe both in the role of the coach, but in some of the things you mentioned would feel like to me, you can pick up on things in the real room and maybe some things are, are harder or not. I mean, how have you seen that over the last, I guess it is 10 months now play out in terms of. Yeah, you know, it's funny. I guess I guess I would have had the assumption that things that we used to do in the room with people, for example, like one of the big things to do with horse coaching is to have people occupy like wedges in a circle and let's say the the different wedges in the circle are different parts of a of a value stream in an organization and they're sharing with each other what it's like to be this part of the value stream and what happens is a lot more systems intelligence gets created they find new avenues to unblock their bottlenecks that they didn't even know they were there 10 minutes ago and bang we got a new solution so we used to do all that stuff in person and i would have thought that that would be really hard to do um, virtual, but it's super easy. Huh. And in some ways, it's even, mm, I'm not gonna say better, but it's maybe as good because it lowers the bar on people's um, self-deprecating behavior. You know, if they, if they don't have to actually move their body around in a space with their colleagues real time, but instead they're moving their cursor around a screen into these different boxes where they're looking at different perspectives, then somehow that lowers the bar on people feeling a little embarrassed or weird. Hmm. Right. Maybe it's for permission or, or liberty to, to, to do that. Well, I just think until people are willing to be able and until the systems are able to allow them to show up as their full authentic self, we're just going to have to, you know, just, yeah. you know, have maybe just a little bit less than what could be amazing if everyone was fully authentic. But that's okay. Yeah. That's where we are right now. That's one of the things we've been going through at Singlist in the last year is to really talk about bringing your full self um, to work. And this is, you know, historically, when I was coming of age, there was work out, there was outside of work and there was work. And you showed up and work and, and did work yeah. and you left. And now it certainly it's been accelerating for us in the last year, especially it's virtual, more of a bring your whole self to work. And we all have challenges and struggles and things that are going well and things that aren't going well to be a bit more open. And it's been harder, I think, for my generation. It's just not as comfortable. It's, it's, it, we're having to learn it, but it's just not comfortable. Um, have you seen with what you're talking about a receptiveness or a change in how 
this is at sort of, you know, our, our age sort of folks or older folks or folks that are newer into the workforce. Have you seen any differences into kind of um, how they show up and, 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 and maybe what their expectations are? Well, I'd say this. If you tell people, hey, we're going to have this workshop where we dive really deep into some of the relationship system problems you all have been having for the last decade. And um, you're going to be using your bodies. You're going to be walking around. You're going to be occupying different perspectives. You know, you might even uh, make a, some sounds. People would say no. So you don't freaking ask people that. <laughs> because those are the methods by which we're getting the business results they want. So you focus on the business results. Yeah. Okay. You all want to figure out what is the problem in this value stream? Great. Let's get everyone in a room. We're going to have a workshop and it's not going to be a workshop. Like you sit there and you listen to someone teach something. It's a workshop. Like you're going to work. We're going to work this problem. And by the end of this workshop, you will probably have two or three new ways of dealing with this bottleneck. First of all, identifying it and dealing with it than you had before. Would you like that? And they're like, sure. So it's up to the practitioner, to the coach, to just believe in these methods enough to tolerate the tiny little bit of eye rolling that happens when you say to someone, okay, you're not gonna use words first, you're gonna use hand gestures tiny bit of eye rolling. People will think that's a little bit weird, but then they'll do it and they'll realize how much more information a hand gesture can convey than the words that come out of their mouth. Interesting. I know she used a hand gesture just like that when yeah. you were conveyed to me. And then all of a sudden we have so much more information to work with. And so like just at a really basic level, I'll say to people, do you want more information? Yeah, sure. I'd love more information. Okay, let's go get some more information. That's awesome. So what keeps it interesting for you these days? I mean, it's it is fascinating for me to dig in a bit more. Like what, what really drives you and, and motivates you and make this, it is the passion. I can very much see that mm. it's the passion. What is it? Well, I'm hoping to help us not annihilate ourselves as a species. Thank That's you. basically it. <laughs> 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 oh, thank God Lisa's here. <laughs> you know, so my passion is um, is helping us really imagine what it would look like if we brought in all of the energies possible, all of the feminine and masculine energies in our decision making, into the way we show up day after day. And if we could make more holistic and wholesome and useful decisions that have a positive impact on the planet, then that would be great. You know, there's almost no business decision that is inconsequential anymore. Hmm. It used to be that a bunch of business decisions were like totally inconsequential, yeah. right? Sure. Most things, we're so interconnected now. We're in what Harvard Business Review just coined this term they call 3D change, three-dimensional change. It's pervasive, it's perpetual, it's exponential. Hmm. So in that kind of world, almost every business decision has significance. And definitely the unintended impacts of those decisions, which happen every single time you make a decision, have incredible impact on the planet.
And so I'm wanting to bring in our agile thought process to that. I'm wanting to bring in the idea that a decision is not one and done. Hmm. A decision is make a decision. It's an experiment. Uh, you're going to run it for a while. And then you're going to inspect and adapt because there are always unintended negative consequences. And you have to decide, is the positive worth the negative? If not, let's adjust. Yeah, absolutely. So who have been some of your key influencers along your journey um, that have helped inform through your, your thinking? So the, there are so many, but the ones that are coming to mind right now because they're so um, implanted in my life right now, um, one is Diane Musho Hamilton, who mm-hmm. is an award-winning mediator, and she's also a transmitted Zen Roshi. So she is a Zen teacher. Mm-hmm. Um, she is an incredible human being and someone I have learned a lot from. I'm not her formal Zen student. That's a very, very significant undertaking. Um, but I have been learning Zen and mediation and facilitation from her for the last four or five years. So she's a huge influence on my life. Um, my primary business partners and collaborators, Michael Spade, Michael Hammond, Leslie Riley. I'm sure we're missing some people now and I feel really embarrassed, like I'm not gonna remember everyone. Kat Connor has just come into my life in the last year as a new collaborator. Mm-hmm. So these people really enliven what I'm up to. Um, and we find ways that Oh, what I'm up to is really synergistic with what you're up to. So let's join paths for a while. Um, Ken Wilber and the integral theory, integral theory community in general, especially the European community, is very much my teacher. Very much. And so inform me, you mentioned him earlier. I'm, I'm not familiar with his work. Can you summarize? Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So Ken Wilber is known as... Um, the greatest living philosopher. Isn't that cool? And he lives in Boulder, Colorado. Ah, right here. Yeah. Yeah. So um, he has this theory he created called the integral theory, and it has now been applied to pretty much every domain you can think of on the planet. People say that this is an integrally informed, you know, um, view of medicine or an integrally informed view of spirituality or an integrally informed view of agile, right? Hmm. On and on. so so useful because what we're up to right now is this is another thing about decision making it's allowing the complexity in instead of trying to dumb it down or ignore it yes and his model the integral model really allows us to do that i just gave a keynote to a gigantic financial organization yesterday and it was called the next wise step seeing more and taking action in your everyday complex problems. And it was all about how to use this integral model to do more more holistic seeing and analysis and investigation and optimally to have intervention um, options, multiple intervention options from each of these four perspectives in this model before you choose what you're gonna do. And one of my big messages to people is that there is no resolution of most of the problems we have in business right now. There is only the ability to influence it because hmm. it's constantly changing. Hmm. I'll have to be able to get into that. 
I think there are plenty of resolutions for technical things, Ryan. I mean, you could probably teach me a whole lot about that. Yeah, it's, it, we, you know, I always laugh that tech is the easy part. It's the people that are the hard part, I mean, quite frankly. And, you know, it's like, and I'm a bit flippant on that, but at least in software, there's a, we can define done and we can sort of say it, it works or not. And it's, it's not it's as messy lovely. as people. It's Newtonian. It's so nice. <laughs> I love to hear that. It's so it's isn't it great. It it's is. It's not messy. It's not messy, and it generally follows patterns, and we don't have exceptions and stuff. It's absolutely no. no yeah, I agree. It's so great. And then there are all the other decisions in every business, and yes. those are incredibly messy. And relationships are incredibly messy, yes. and all of that impacts technology. <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> So let me let me close. What um, what are you listening to these days? This is always my favorite question. What music have um, you been listening to recently? You know what? I realized that because I'm not on airplanes constantly, I am really missing what I call liminal space. Okay. I'm one of these people that loves to travel, and I love being on airplanes. I know it sounds crazy. Yeah. I know it okay. does, but I really do um, because it was a place where no one could get to me. You know, I'm, I'm such a human interactions person, but actually there comes a time when I've had enough of people and I just need to be by myself. I need right. a lot of solo time, actually. And so that liminal space, I'm not here and I'm not there. I'm in between two things. And even on a flight from Richmond, Virginia to San Francisco, California, I can completely lose track of how time is going. Like I, I take a nap. I don't know if it's been 40 minutes or, or four minutes or two hours. I have no clue when I wake up how long it's been. And I love that. And I just keep myself in that space. There's all this amazing music that that helps induce okay. that space. So I've been sitting downstairs in front of the fireplace listening to this music. Yeah. And so on Spotify, for example, floating through space is one really? of my favorite, uh, my favorite Spotify playlists these days. That's awesome. Have you got your going as far as getting yourself in uh, an airplane seat and or, you know, there's their flights now where you can get a flight to nowhere. I, I've seen these in Asia where people literally get on the plane and kind of oh go up and take yeah. off and just turn around, and come back down. But people have so missed uh, traveling. So, <laughs> no, that's, funny. No, that's that, funny. no, that would totally defeat the liminal space thing because you would know, like, you're I guess you come back to where place. you're yeah, yeah. yeah, you come back to where you left off from. So, yeah. Anyway, we'll have to do it in front of a fireplace. With some, uh, <laughs> yeah, that's some right. It may be like a, uh, these days, a blanket on your, on your, yeah. your uh, lap. So Absolutely. So, Lisa, it's wonderful to catch up with you again. It's so great to tap in. I learned a whole lot. Um, I did, here. too. And I have a lot more to learn. And so I really appreciate you coming on the program. It's so good to see you and say uh, it's even though we're kind of across the same city for each other, we rarely see each other. You've been traveling so much in the past few years. and Yeah, and that, this year we've been in our homes. You know, yeah. So. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So thank you for coming on the program and uh, say uh, hey to John for me. I will. And, um, I will. He said hi to you. He, he says, Gomer says, hey. He says he Gomer would know says, you know hey. what that awesome, means. Awesome, <laughs> awesome. Everything I ever learned about performance testing, I learned from John. So for yeah. the record. Uh, so anyway, um, Lisa, thanks so much again and uh, take care. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.